Welcome to Ashland New Plays Festival Play for Keeps conversation series, where theater artists share stories, news, and insights into their work. Now, let's meet today's guests. All right, let's get this started. Hi, my name is Ken Yoshikawa, pronouns he, him, his. I'm an actor, a poet, and a relatively recent playwright, and I am uh, writing in first and all kinds of other formats and I'm very excited by power structures and geopolitics and things and more for that later I guess I'll keep passing it on let's do this hi I'm Lorenz Catava I uh, my pronouns are he him his and I uh, am based in Ashland Oregon and Palm Springs California uh, like Ken I'm also out of the world of poetry spoken word and uh, I'm also a novelist and I recently came into playwriting, and I write primarily about the experiences of African-American men and gay men, and African-American gay men in particular. I've written a couple of plays, and um, I'll pass it on to Nikki. Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Gillette. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I'm a trans woman playwright living in Portland, Oregon. My, I had my first production this year of The Queers at... Fuse Theater Ensemble, my play American Girl, was featured in American Theater recently, which was exciting. I like to write messy dramas where uh, people are dysfunctional and swear at each other. <laughs> uh, Leslie? <laughs> Thank you. I'm Leslie Slape. I am a playwright. I, uh, I'm also a professional storyteller and a retired journalist. I live in Rainier, Oregon. And uh, my work is done in Longview, Washington, right across the Columbia River. I recently, a playwright, my my one play uh, that I really worked hard on, uh, was a finalist at the Ashland New Plays Festival in 2018 and is on the Play for Keys podcast. And I'm still working on it, but it did get a production, a full production in March at a theater in Longview. And Lizzie. Uh, hi, I'm Lindsay Partain. I'm uh, my pronouns are she/her, and I am based out of Tigard, Oregon. I really enjoy writing plays that are based around like Pacific Northwest Gothic takes. I uh, like the horror and sci-fi genre. Um, and let me see. I think that's about it for right now. <laughs> There's a birthday party downstairs, but we all know the real parties in this room. So we're all here in Ashland for the uh, Ashland New Plays Festival, New Voices, Emerging Playwrights Retreat. We've been here for uh, four days now, <laughs> and uh, we've had a really exciting time, not only meeting each other, but the opportunity to meet some other playwrights. We've uh, attended some plays at uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, had a wonderful uh, opportunity to meet with uh, the artistic director of, of uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, uh, Nataki um, Garrett. Garrett, thank you, um, as well as the director of Unseen, uh, and everyone's been incredibly generous with their time and, and uh, helping us to uh, learn more about the playwriting craft as well as the business of playwriting as well. So, would anyone like to talk maybe about what they thought were some of the highlights of the weekend? Mm. <clears throat> Things that you'll take back and use? Well, we, we, 
we had a workshop, and I will use what we got from that workshop, uh, led by Ellen, um, our resident playwright. Um, I'll get some of the, the things that she gave us of of uh, how to get going when you, you know you've got a blank page, mm-hmm. and and how to just trust yourself. Yeah. I think we all need to trust ourselves. <clears throat> Following the engine of the story and yeah. letting it take mm-hmm. you through to the end, that was really impactful for me, especially within that workshop. Yeah. Following mm-hmm. the story. That engine word was really huge, just like mm-hmm. to consider the mechanics of, um, of the things that we're making, these plays, these blueprints that become performances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, you know, writing is almost necessarily a solitary activity, and when I'm working on my plays, I'm usually doing it with like a director or actors or a literary manager. And so the chance to be with other playwrights and just hear how different everyone's process is and what, what people are after in their work was exciting. Because I think you submit to something and you know 500, 500 other people are submitting and you think, well, they're just like me, but I need to win. But <laughs> when you... When you get to meet other people and see, like, oh no, they're doing something different, and what they're doing in school, and what I'm doing in school, it, it feels like it, I got this sense of community out of it. Oh, yeah, I, and I have to add to that because where I live, this little town, there's not, I mean, I'm like it for playwright. I don't think there are any, any other playwrights in Rainier. Um, I know there's another one in Longview, but it's coming here. We're all, we're all emerging, we're all so different, and yet we're all focused and we're hungry, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's wonderful. I draw from your energy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this community that we have in this room is just amazing. So I think I'll always remember the meeting we had this morning with Lisa Lumar, yeah. who's uh, an incredible <clears throat> published playwright. She did Roe, and she did... Uh, a number of other things, and just hearing about her process, how she uh, was able to get her voice and make her voice heard in the productions that she did here, and continues to own those productions as they've gone out into the world, particularly Roe. And um, I'm very inspired by having met her and understanding where she, uh, the path that led her to where she is now. Speaking of voices, speaking of community, speaking of diversity and difference, I want to know. I want to just lift up our, our, our Nataki, Nataki Garrett. Um, she said a few things that really hit me in a way. Um, one of them, I mean, first of all, being the, the enormous amount of racism she's encountered in the community of Ashland, and like the, that being absolutely horrifying, and and um, you know, I kind of felt like I was almost gawking at the, like just looking at her eyes, but I also felt like I was, I had a little wick that wanted to be lit by her wisdom and such, and um, and the second thing which I found really, uh, uh, really struck me in a way was her description of what she's wanting and seeing in audiences. Like she describes how uh, certain audiences will give each other the death eyes when they make a noise in the audience as if they're disruptive. She described the difference between witnessing or having an experience in the audience and being, you know, how we in community in an audience as we experience a play together. And uh, the reason why it struck me so much is because um, I, when we watched Unseen, we were in the audience with students and um, there were two behind me who at one point were whispering with each other about something. They must have had a thought. 
And I felt so disturbed and, un and unsettled and like frustrated with that because I felt like I was distracted. Mm -hmm. I mean, the disturb the, what I did was I turned it, the second, third time, I turned it and I just looked at them. And I realized I was that guy, that, except at a different level. Like she described this one student who was jostling this <clears throat> movable stage, like the screw in the floor mm -hmm. and making all this noise. And this one man who turned over a couple, like turned back and looked. And the last time it was like a death glare, like I will like kill you if you make another noise. And the poor kid was just like, just trying to exist in the audience. And I real I realized that I, I was exhibiting that behavior and that is so exclusive and she described that kid will never want to come back again if that's how they're treated in the audience and I, I just I wanted to share that because I I, um, I felt called out in a great way and then called in in a great way just with myself and uh, that was a huge education so I want to thank her for for sharing just influencing our future behaviors as we sit as audience members and uh, teach uh, future theater goers what is like that it's okay to experience the theater that's in front of them in the way that feels most comfortable and exciting for them to be a part of the theater world and but also teaching like the the current theater goers too or the uh, more established theater goers as well that it's okay to like take in and experience theater in new ways as well like the way that you've been doing it doesn't necessarily have to be the only way to do it <laughs> because we have to remember there we go to the theater all the time but these kids this is the first time in there oh, baby theater goers. and we want them to be in the second time you take them there the first time they take themselves there the second time mm -hmm. why don't you do that second time mm -hmm. absolutely one thing that Nataki also said too that really like stuck with me was this idea of like it is okay to want more for yourself and to not just be okay with being like having somebody say well like you should just be happy like being a stage manager or just be happy like doing the thing that you have in front of you like it is so okay to look beyond that and to expect more of yourself or to mm -hmm. to uh chase the desire to want more or that you deserve more even um that was really beautiful and meaningful for me who has often encountered trouble saying, oh, I deserve to be in, in a space or, um, yeah, deserve to be heard even sometimes. It can be really scary. <laughs> I've held myself back in life so many times, and it's taken me a long time to, to give myself permission. Mm -hmm. Go forward. Don't let other people hold you back, and especially don't hold yourself back. Mm -hmm. I think we also had a wonderful conversation with Everett Hodkin directed mm -hmm. uh, Unseen. Yeah. He was so generous giving like an hour and a half to us oh, yeah. after uh, the seeing the performance of Unseen. And telling us a lot about his process of bringing this new play and creating it on stage, working with the playwright um, and working with, uh, with the artistic director uh, to bring that to, to the stage. And I thought that was a really wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. Just the importance of like community building and finding your finding your people and helping build them up <laughs> to make those opportunities happen. And, and just the way he changed things in the play. You know, hearing that, mm -hmm. uh, sort of the developmental process of a play that's on, on the OSF stage, I thought was really useful. Yeah. Yeah, I... I've been really touched by the ANPF uh, community, too. We started the weekend with this welcome party, barbecue, and, and we saw a lot of folks again last night at the reading, and it's, it's just sweet. I feel like this whole 
at first I was like, what is the purpose of this weekend? <laughs> like, we're not learning a lot. We're not, like, shit, you know, we're doing this small sharing thing. And, and what I, came to mean to me was encouragement. They're just saying, hey, you're, your playwrights, you're emerging, we like your work, come spend time, have these experiences, meet these like seasoned professionals who you might not have access to otherwise, see these great plays. And um, the folks who I met who are like on the board, they just seem to do it because they love it. And, and they want to you know, create this thing for young playwrights or emerging playwrights. And um, to me, uh, it's probably nice that I'm gonna take that warmth back. And yeah, that whole process of reading 500 plays oh and coming up with four <laughs> yeah. that are going to be performed, I mean, that takes a lot of dedication. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about last night, about the, um, about the short readings that we did. Um, it was an opportunity for us, I think, for the first time to hear each other's um, yes. plays. We did about 10-minute uh, 10 readings. We were so so grateful to have had a couple of OSF actors who came in to uh, read some of our words. But Tyrone and Michael, yeah, mm -hmm. Tyrone and, and Michael Keenan came in and just cold read uh, yeah. the scripts that we put in front of them, which was incredible. But um, you may want to talk more about their experience with hearing their words read last night. I mean, honestly, just hearing everybody's pieces, there's so much that I'm that I want to take back with me. It's like, Ken, like just your lyrical, beautiful language and how you use it for uh, to inspire laughter and even romance, just silliness and uh, relationships. Uh, Lorenz, all of these bright, gorgeous personalities that you fit into one room so seamlessly mm. is incredible to me, like how they... You you have such a talent for fitting big personalities like and unique personalities all together and existing in one spot and it's amazing. Mickey, your comedy, your your timing, like the way you write your comedy is oh, chef's kiss. It is so good. And how Michael picked it up so seamlessly. So seamlessly. Yeah. Yeah. And you really like you offered such a great space for people to laugh and understand something that like. They might normally not get the opportunity to, which is also like a lovely experience. And then the historical uh, aspect that Leslie brought to just this uh, uh, male relationships in an unlikely space. Like everybody had something different and I want it, to, it's all going to influence me when I go back home and sit in front of my computer again. <laughs> As for you, yeah. you your, your play, your piece had like a, there was a wistfulness to the grief that was there and the, the enormous tragedy of the, the, the conditions in the context of your, of cosmo, cosmological conditions of your play, <laughs> which hit so gently and painfully. It was, it was sublime, I guess. It was, just, yeah, it was. Yeah. I love your descriptions of our work, and I thank you for bringing her in because <laughs> you of course. But, yeah, uh, how did it feel for each of us to to hear it? Well, um, for me, it was, it was, it, it gave, it, it, it's, it's interesting because I knew that same, some of the people in the room might have read it before. It was one of the 500 in you know, those years ago when it made the finals. And so here it was at last in the room with them uh, again. And, and part of me just 
was thinking, oh, finally. <laughs> but I'm changing it. and It's growing. The play is continuing to grow and change and stuff. And so I was hearing these words out loud for the first time. And, you know, and then, then we get to the ones, the part of it that I'd written long ago, and I'm hearing them again, uh, and it, like I've heard so many times. And I was on edge because right next to me, this, this guy was listening, listening, listening. And when all done, he turned to me and he goes, you turned this in to the festival before, didn't you? I said, yes. <laughs> he says, I fought for it. <laughs> anyway, it was wonderful. Wonderful to hear it. Wonderful to hear you read Robert. Um, and One of the questions that, that has kept coming up for us throughout the weekend, and it's, I think it started at our Playwrights Tea at Lovejoy, uh, tea room. Is who are we writing for? And um, I know for Nikki and I, we're writing for underrepresented populations or people whose stories aren't often told in the theater. And that's black gay men and trans people. Um, and I feel a, a, a large obligation to try to be as accurate as, as I can be and telling those stories because they're. Um, stories that aren't heard often enough by the American population in the American theater, and particularly black men. I don't think there are a lot of plays out there about the experiences of living as a black man in America. Uh, and a lot of them that are told are not being told from with the voice of other black men. So I feel an enormous obligation with that. Um, anybody else want to talk about your audience and who you're writing for and what? Um, also to tie that in with what Nataki said about um, writing for a general audience is writing for a white audience, right? And like having a well-made play isn't supporting the comfort of white supremacy. But then I realized, one thing I know that took away from that, in addition to this, who my audience is, is I realized I do write for white people. And, I, and it's a way that I think it's... Uh, I, I, I mean, having been tokenized so much of my life, you know, necessarily in the communities I've lived in, I, I, whether, I think I came to realize how much I do write for white people, and um, and I feel very vulnerable in, in in a way of like, wow, in reflecting and how I have, and so what does it mean to do that, and how I seek to then find a way through playwriting, which is and in theater in America, which is so white, what does it mean for me to be writing, trying trying to reach in that direction, probably never actually acclaiming that, so. Uh, just a thought in that regard. I wish I could write for more. I, I, to write for Asians is a thing like why sometimes I feel like a, as a biracial person do, or being caught in between. So uh, can I even? Uh, what is authentic for me is a big question. So I think I, re I revert to the general audience and um, find myself reflecting on that from this trip. I, I, to me, the process is just so mysterious. Like, why I was an English major, and I wasn't an English major because I wanted to be a writer. Like, a lawyer friend of my family had said, you should be a lawyer. And I was like, okay, what do you do? How do you, is there a free law? And he said, no, you can do English or poli sci. And I was like, okay, I'll do English. And then I read literature, and it was like, like my brain just, And I just, it was just the most profound thing that had ever happened to me. And, and I feel like I'm trying to write to be in conversation with the things that I loved, but I'm also, I've had all these traumas in my life, and writing is this tool where I can try to process those. And then there's just this, like, 
drive that I feel like I feel like most of us have. We're like, I created this thing; it needs to be in front of people, and <laughs> and how do I get it in front of people? And um, and I do, you know, when a trans person sees my play and is like, oh, I've never seen something like that that showed me something myself. I feel like I've accomplished something and touched and. When cis people are like, oh, I didn't understand. I'm like, well, that's good. They understand more of it. <laughs> and, and it's just mysterious. Like, I mean, I could have written a play about three frogs, and I would still be like, we produced my play. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I just have this ego that drive around my writing. And so it, it's hard to tease apart sometimes. I feel like I don't know that I really write for like specific audiences necessarily. I feel like I try to do this. Like, I want to uh, write plays that, like, give other people permission to feel the, the space that they should be taking up or, like, give people permission to, like, uh, feel their emotions or, like, <laughs> to try to understand themselves better, maybe. Because I know that I have had a lot of complicated emotions over my uh, the course of my life so far, and it's hard to tease them out sometimes. So offering uh, words for those feelings that we don't quite understand yet <laughs> and maybe other people will pick them up too and find help or comfort in that <clears throat> i've written two plays both well, yeah. well, well, so, for audience yeah. yeah i i think there are some people who see themselves as the audience for the heart of courage um, a whole bunch of people from the museum came because they're interested in the history of Calais County. A whole bunch of people from the sheriff's office came because they're interested in the history of the sheriff's office. And a whole bunch of members of the family of Ben Holmes came because they're interested in Ben. Um, but part of the part of who I'm writing for, and it doesn't, I don't know if it makes sense, but I'm writing for those two guys because they didn't get their they didn't tell their story. Ben, Mr. Quiet, he didn't, as far as I could tell, talk about anything at all. Um, other people talked about him some, so I could get something from what they said. But he didn't speak for himself. Mm. And Robert tried so hard to get his story out there and nobody would listen. And he said, in this thing I found just a month ago, Wish someone would go back through my family history and they would read my story, they would know my story. And I thought he's talking to me. And so I wanted to do this play for them and for people like them. Uh, because I, as a reporter, I would, I would write about what the police did, or I'd write about what the criminals, criminals did, and I'd write about what happened to the victims. But I, I wanted to treat these guys as people mm. and just as people. Mm. Yeah, thank you. So I, um, there is black theater in America. There's a long tradition of black theater that goes back to the Chitlin circuit and far beyond that, where there have been black writers who've written about black life. But they don't, <clears throat> there's very few writers until recently that talked about black gay life or gay people as part of the black community. So I write to educate the black community about gay life. And there are lots of gay writers, uh, Harvey Fierstein, uh, there's a whole history of, of gay writers. And if there were black characters in their play, 
they were always subsidiary characters. They were never the central character in the play until Terrell Alvin McCraney came along and started writing about black gay characters and gained some success in that. So I think, from my perspective, that's my audience, is to educate black people about the gay world and gay people about the black world. So it's my intersectionality as a writer that I feel this, this obligation, really, to get my words into both of those communities. I have a thought. Uh, is a, do you ever, uh, in regards to this, be having an audience, this is all still in the conversation of having an audience and who is our audience, and, and the reading we had yesterday, do you feel that um, being uh, listened to or observed is, like, is a form of love, right? Like having your words read, having your words heard, having your words digested is a form of being loved as an artist. What do you think about that? That's how I feel, for instance. But. Maybe you like go to like love languages. I'm like, is this like a, like a <laughs> is it a task oriented thing where it's like you are physically in the room, or is it like a quality time like kind of love? Or I, that's so fascinating that you. It's like when people say. I feel heard, I feel seen. It mm. matters. And yes, I, I want my words to matter. I want them to be thought of and, and just talk about. Mm. Start conversations. I want to start conversations. Mm. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's such... Now I'm thinking to my production, and I was like, I'm going to go to every rehearsal, I'm going to go to every performance. Like, I'm just going to soak this up because this is the first time, and you only have one first time. And... and yeah, there was this sense, I just felt honored. Like, there's these artists who are coming together, they're learning these words, and suddenly people are painting the walls of the sets, and then people are bringing in costumes, and it's like, they're all bringing this play to life, and then, you know, when audiences come, and they laugh, or they, you know, they clap at the end, yeah, it does, it does feel like love, and just some kind of affirmation, you know, because we spend a lot of time trying to get good at this, I think, and then for people to say, yeah, we're going to do it, and then people to say, I'm going to watch it, this feels really special. You know, my favorite part about the process, uh, and I've done this in the productions of, of Speak My Words, Tell My Truth, and um, it's been the talk back afterwards, giving the audience a chance to digest a little bit of what they've heard and ask questions, sometimes of me, sometimes of the actors, and sometimes just of each other. And I think that's something that theater can do and should do is to get people to start to raise questions and to challenge their dogmas. Because as we were talking with Lisa Moore this morning, you know, people are really tribalized and moving into their corners and having their own perspectives. And I see our role as opening an opportunity for a dialogue between different communities. Yeah. I guess one, that's amazing to like what the process of audience digesting the content of a play and integrating it into their life. For one, I I, uh, I don't know which but two things I wanted to say. One of them is there's the talk back. Have you ever heard of a move back? So one of, one of my mentors in Portland is this woman named Chisao Hata, who's a Japanese third generation woman, and she uh, is a is a dance movement uh, t instructor and teacher and uh, collaborator and creator, and she has this thing that she does where after a play and a performance that's particularly moving, she'll have the audience join in space with mo a few of the performers and herself, and they'll do uh, expressive movements to integrate in oh, wow. how they feel, because uh, so, there's the, the the kind of 
academic decapitation that happens when we're just talking and thinking. What does it mean that we're integrating it into our bodies? I thought that was, I just wanted to mention that. It's pretty cool. Such a vulnerability and making people move their bodies together too after sitting for so long. That's gorgeous. Yeah. And the second thing was what Taki said, as not just, she she just rocked my world, uh, is that uh, we like to think that theater changes people, but she also says that theater doesn't like it's if the person isn't wanting the change they can watch anything stand and remain the same and so that's like what does that mean like the, I guess it really depends on the person and the relationships and uh I mean, given the evidence of things that she's experienced, but like uh, for longtime theater goers, so it's like, what is? Uh, we're very hopeful and idealistic about the effect of theater on us, but I don't know. Uh, there seems to be it seems to be much more complicated. <laughs> what was it? It was uh, you're either reflecting or you're what was the other word? Witness. Witnessing. Yeah, and that was yes to what you were saying. Well, that's a little, I, yeah, I think that goes <clears throat> back a little to what Lorenz was saying and what Lisa Lomer said is. You know, as we become more tribalized, I think there are audiences who either go, like if they're witnessing, they're going to be instructed. Like, what am I supposed to think about this? Or um, if there's, and it's possible, they're going to have preconceptions reaffirmed. And, and I, I hope, I think the best kind of writing can complicate that and bring in ambiguity that goes beyond, you know, kind of surface level views and, and touches people's humanity. And I, I'm sure Nakagi's right that that doesn't always cause transformation, but I know I've been transformed by some things that I've seen around. Me too. Yeah, yeah. It's just not. It's not complete. Like it doesn't apply. Same thing. It's different for everybody. I mean, like in these contexts and all that. I just want those are all nuances. Yeah. Being able to represent our intersections and also then to be witness. I'm just so excited by that whole interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Let's, oh, here's a. Should we ask a new question? Yeah, yeah let's have a question, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for one. There, I like this one a lot. What is the best advice you've ever gotten? What do you think about this question, first of all? Do you want to ask her what, what is the yeah, best? Yeah, because I, when I saw that, I thought, okay, the best advice I, I can answer that one. The best advice I've gotten as a playwright is write the play that you would want to see. I agree. Write the play that you pay money and go and watch in the theater. And yeah. That's what it, Doesn't that also tie into your audience? That we are our own audience. We are, yeah, we are. I feel like a little kid. Like, I want to see but we're, we're not like we're not like writing for a market. We're not writing. Let, let, I'm going to write a play that's going to be watched by so and so. No, write a play you would want to see. That's right. And if you're going to like it. Yeah, there's times I thought to myself, if I could be the trans needle sign that I'd make a million dollars. That was interesting uh, in our workshop with Ellen Lewis. We each talked about what our processes were. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're, somebody had the idea of walking. I think it was yours. Um, yeah, walking. Not just me. Yeah. yeah. So many of us. Yeah. 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 That, that, it's almost a walking meditation. That's where you get your inspiration. That's where your characters talk to you. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a first thing in the morning type of person. I, 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 I dream a lot. I have very vivid, very detailed dreams. Uh, but I also get ideas in the morning, and my characters will talk to me at like five and six o'clock in the morning. And I just have to get up and get onto a word processor and put those words down, and I can't really rest until I've done that. Mm. Mm. Cool. How, how about you, Nikki? Did you talk about your process? Yeah, yeah. Mine was, and um, I, I feel like it's connected to my meditation mm. process because I. I meditate twice a day, and that was really transformative for me. I had a lot of repressed trauma and 
just creating that safe container, like allow those memories to come back and and you know feel like oh you know this is a place where I can go for a little while each day and deal with that and go do my life. <laughs> and writing can be like before I had that process, writing sort of dominated my life and all I was doing was think about what I was working on. And now it's I I know there's a time. When I'm writing, I'm going to take like 90 minutes a day, or if I'm really inspired 90 minutes in the morning, 90 minutes in the night, and I'm going to write, and then, you know, I can be a romantic partner to my partner, and I can do my job, my job, and I can cook. <laughs> so it's it's a nice kind of way to manage that, and and it, it doesn't take the mystery out. Like, I still wonder, where do these characters come from, and, why are they there when I sit down at my computer? It's <laughs> like that Mary Oliver quote about the deer. Yeah, yeah, I'll ensure that. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to that question about advice. And, you know, for someone out there who's listening, who's interested in getting into playwriting, what kind of advice would we give to them? Yeah. Now that we're emerging playwrights, someone who's yeah. a novice, what would we advise them? Don't force it. I think that like there's this pressure that I have often felt anyway to like, like you sit down, you write six pages every single day, you write words every day, yeah, and it yeah, just doesn't work yeah. like that for me. Like I like when the story like finds me, when it bites me, I will bite back and I will <laughs> write it when it is good and ready to be told. Mm. Yeah, I if I don't force it, then it comes out easier. Yeah, yeah. I um a couple of favorites told me. Breaking in, it's really about relationships. And you like to think your your script is so amazing that people can be like, drop everything and produce this. But it doesn't happen. But if you get involved with a theater, you go see theaters where you live, get involved with a theater that you like, see if you know, they'll welcome you, they'll read it. Um, that, that worked for me. Ellen gave me that advice, actually, that kind of worked for her in L.A. And, um, and then you know, like they know you and they care about you. If they're going to start doing their work, which for me was really comforting. Yeah. I think if you're just starting out, I think it's having a good story. I mean, I think you're a storyteller, and I think I think plays are about telling stories mm-hmm. and creating characters, creating um, personalities that advance a particular storyline. And I think if you have something you want to tell, if you come from a community that's underrepresented and hasn't had their stories told, then just try it. Just sit down, play with it, put some words down on paper, and if it's supposed to flow, it'll flow. Yeah. I say, um, don't think you know it all. Yeah. Um, keep yourself open to learning the process because it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you have to learn it. I had three things I wanted to say. One of them was a shout out to Dan Kitrosser, who was my first playwriting yes, teacher. Dan, Dan our, our, first, our first thing in his class was uh, to just say, I am a playwright. Yeah, it was to affirm our, the identity mm-hmm. and to feel um, uh, not like an imposter. And to know that by even wanting to write a play, even writing a little, little play, you, you are a playwright. Right. And you don't have to like earn the title at all. I think that was really inclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's like, it's one piece, it's like two pieces of advice that I used to say simultaneously. Uh, when I was younger, my uncle said, make art like your, your hair is on fire, you know, and, and which, co- which couples with the idea, like, write like you're running out of time almost, which is, which is intense. Because then the other side is that you don't have to destroy yourself for your art. 
art. Mm-hmm. And I think both of them, for me, there's a, there's a, there's a simultaneity of that. Like, like just the, I, I must do this so that, and, and to just choose something to do and do it like I am running out of time, which can be, which can almost burn the wick down too fast, but then also then to couple that with great self care and, uh, and, and knowing that uh, I don't have to annihilate my, myself for making this thing. If there's something in the middle of that yeah. that I, I found helpful. Some people start out writing 10-minute plays, writing just mm-hmm. a short play and developing, you know, brief storylines, short characters. It's a way to get started out. And I remember Ellen was telling us to read one writing book a year. Um, yeah, that was um, good. That's cool. Yeah. Isn't that what we do weird? Like, I, <laughs> a, a director and I were talking about, like, you know, how did, what would you compare theater to? And I was like, it's like bebop jazz. It's not a popular art form. There's not a big enough audience to sustain it commercially, but it's a great art form. Like, bebop's great, and there's people who still love bebop. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's strange. There's nothing like it, like sitting in the theater and watching a play, if, like, some magic moment happens when you're two people standing eight feet from you. It's, it's so beautiful. Also, we, never, uh, we never write a play alone. Like, I mean, we might, the writing is, is solitary, but the, but the creation of work is constantly communal. Mm-hmm. It's a team sport. It yeah. is. It's the, it's, the, it's the most community thing. I mean, I can't think of it. It's a collaboration in every sense. Yeah. And, and that includes the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The power of being an audience to something too, where yeah. we very often our writing is, is autobiographical too. Mm-hmm. You know, well, we're always in our plays, right? Yeah. Right. Y'all, I think we got the ten minutes mm-hmm. sign. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about like what we have coming up, maybe a little bit, or if there's anything we're excited about writing? Yeah. Yeah, make you got some comments. Yeah. Yeah, I think it might well, happen before this this happens, but I'm happy reading of my play on Sunday, June 12th at Peace Theater Ensemble with the American Girl. <coughs> so that'll be the first time that's shared publicly. I'm excited about that. What time? Oh, at noon. At the Backdoor Theater on Let's go. And if people want to find me, they can look at my, like, uh, newly redone website, MinkyGillette.com. Minky's spelled kind of funny. M-I-K-K-I, and then Gillette's like the razor. <laughs> Anyone else have a, like a? I know that I'm still I'm deep in writing mode, and I think that um, my next step as a writer is into the revision process because I find it's easier just to write a whole new play than to revise something I already have. And I think I'm waiting for the right people to collaborate with to revise my things to make it because I don't. Yeah, just to make to transmit it to audiences into production. And that, but right now I'm just new play. Let's go. <laughs> Well, I did a lot of rewriting this weekend of my play On the Verge, uh, which is about a group of gay friends relating to the George Floyd um, murder, the protests that happened after the George Floyd murder. So I've been working a lot on that over the weekend, and uh, in the next few weeks I'm going to continue revising that. I am working on a one-act version of The Heart of Courage. I've done some work on it this weekend, and I have more to do, but it'll be, uh, well, speaking of target audience, it, it, it's, it's actually uh, being written for high school use to um, for kids to use new one-act play festivals. Cool. That's yeah. Uh, I'm also in revision mode right now, so the, I'm actually revising the play that I 
brought uh, here called The Lightkeepers. Um, it's kind of a sci-fi alternate universe Oregon take on a Oh, I won't get into it right now. There's not enough time. <laughs> but uh, revising that and actually kind of ties into like the best advice that I ever got, which was by uh, Crystal Skillman. I took an audio course with her over the summer during the pandemic. And she looked at the class and she was like, okay, everybody, like I need everybody to cut about three pages. And then she looked at me and she was like, cut five. <laughs> you don't like to edit. You don't like to, you have a hard time with revisions. Cut five. And so... <laughs> I'm it's hard to kill your darlings. I know, yeah. I can cut a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to share, if you go on the Fuse Theater Ensemble Facebook page, you can, if you want to watch a video of the performance of the queers, you can see that there. Not the best way you experience live theater, but maybe the second best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you want to be on uh, the States of Play Facebook page, um, you have to join it to be able to uh, listen on Zoom. Uh, the Heart of Courage will be read uh, by members of that page uh, in July uh, on the 27th at 4 o'clock Pacific uh, time. I wanted to, before we leave, just, we haven't spoken enough about Ellen. Oh, I just want to hype Lewis. Ellen Lewis, Ian Lewis. Lewis. I want to just hype how uh, magnanimous and open and generous and uh, like just informative, warm as she's been for us. She was yes. such a wonderful host, and I feel very taken care of and uh, informed and, and uh, have questions answered that I didn't even know I had the questions to. And, and there's a lot of fundamental bits that I read. I, I, we all know all of us received from her in her experience that I wanted to say thank you, Alan, you know? Well said. And to everyone, really, from the National New Place Festival family, Jackie and Kara, they all really took great care of us. And the opportunity to meet other playwrights yeah. from around Oregon, uh, it's been just tremendous. And yeah, the opportunity just to build community within Oregon, within our own state, like this is a huge opportunity just to make friends and make community with local playwrights. So, uh, go see Unseen. Oh my go gosh, see yes. Unseen. Yes. 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 So good. And I don't know if we should publicize this, but the Ashland New Place Festival will be taking submissions this summer for plays for next year. And so. you have to end it quickly because the 500, it goes up fast. Yeah, yeah can you imagine <laughs> reading all those? They apparently have like a kind of, almost all their readers compiled together. I learned a little bit from listening to them talk. There's some kind of algorithm that computes yes. all of these like choices and such into it. It's amazing. Wow, and also slightly arbitrary and subjective at the end of the day. So it's learning to not take a projection personally. It's yeah. Not, this is like the biggest supporter of playwrights though and yeah. of just the arts and it's a beautiful thing to be a part of and to to witness to hear them talk about how much they really love and want people to come back yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of computer engineers in the community too so yeah. the fact that they have an algorithm doesn't surprise me <laughs> Uh, and then finally, I think uh, I just want to show my love for all of you all as the excellent cohort members. Oh my God! Oh, yeah, what yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huge love. Yeah. Thank, you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's a better spot to even. End. I think that that's like perfect, though. It's just I love you all so much. <laughs> Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you. Thank you. We're all growing. We're all like little buds in a field, man. Yes. <laughs> 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 I, feel, I feel pretty rejuvenated, and I'm excited to go back and get to work. Definitely. For sure. <laughs> this has been a presentation of Ashland New Plays Festival. 
Our podcast is produced by Andy Neal and Kara Quinn-Lewis, with written content edited by Carol Florian. To learn more about AMPF and how you can support New Plays, visit us at ashlandnewplays.org on the web or at ashlandnewplays on social media. If you like what you heard, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.